All right, so we're into the area code section of the uh, podcast. This is episode 212. That's the New York City area code, 212. Oh, okay. uh, our next podcast will be from Los Angeles, area code 213. File uh, that away with, with useless knowledge. That's right. right. <laughs> Dallas, Texas after that, 214. We'll be back uh, on the East Coast with Philadelphia with 215. and How then I know this? Well, I, I spent years and years cold calling all of these area codes. Right. Uh, Cleveland is 216. Uh, I think Wisconsin is 217. I give up after that. I think Indiana is 218, but don't quote me on that. Just food for thought. Um, we, I chuckle when, because I, I know the answer to that, obviously, that, that you came up in the business cold calling. And that's why you know all these different numbers. Uh, and, and we kind of laugh reminiscing. Well, you're reminiscing. I'm just imagining. But... Uh, you you came up in the business like that way, and it seems funny to us now that people would buy stocks over the phone from somebody cold calling. So what what do we do today in in our line of work that we will think is funny twenty years from now? That's a good question. There's no I, good answers. There's no right or wrong answers. It's all speculation, but it's interesting to think about. Right. Because I'm sure you didn't think it was crazy at the time. That's how people did business at the time. That's how you invested in stocks. You that's didn't do it any we, other way. That's how so. we did it. Um, yeah. just, uh, something popping into my brain as we're getting started here. Yeah. So in episode 212 of the Maluli Asset Management Podcast, Brendan and I are going to chip away at some of the news headlines that we see in our line of work, and we may throw in a golf reference or baseball reference along the way as well. So Brendan, you, uh, came up with something that you, uh, wanted to mention right away. Yeah. So this was, uh, in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, starting next week, you can see brokers' profits from bond sales. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could share stories from the brokerage world uh, over the course of your career, but the the premise is basically that now when you get your trade confirms from a broker, if they're trading individual bonds for you, they they also have to include the spread that they and their firm often get. I mean, this this can be as much as like 3% sometimes. Uh, it's probably less in most cases in, in today's world, but it can still be higher than that depending on how thinly traded the bonds are in question. Understand that, that bonds, we've said this before on, on different podcasts and videos, uh, bonds trade by appointment. You know, there'll be times in years gone by on the brokerage side where the bond desk would have an inventory of 200000 or 500000 whatever, of a corporate bond with a yield and uh, they would offer it out to brokers with two points in it, three points in it. That's a two or three percent commission for buying the bond. Uh, of course, you can also take a commission on the way out as well. But these were they were always built into the price. So the client never saw how much they actually paid. There were some pretty savvy uh, bond buyers uh, that I bumped into early in my career who um, I would call them for bonds and uh, show them what I had in inventory. And the question would immediately come up, is that the best you can do? And I kind of felt like I suddenly was being put on the same level as a like a car salesman. Is that the best you can? Oh, let me go talk to my manager. And, you know, we'll see what we can do to get you into this Dodge Dart today. So it was, these prices are negotiable. And so for the first time in my career, uh, I'm pretty happy to see that investors, 
if they read what shows up in the mail. Yeah, I'm not totally sure that that will happen. But if they do read the trade confirmations, they're going to see what they are paying uh, in these bond transactions. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think the days of, you know, four points in a bond, I think they're they're pretty much gone. But you'll be surprised from one firm to the next how some uh, folks will be able to buy and sell municipal bonds for a quarter of a point. It's a good deal. Uh, and then others, you're, you're paying a lot more, three quarters, a, a 1%, something like that. Yeah, there are always going to be trading spreads too. Like you're going to have trading spreads in stocks and ETFs too. Uh, and these exist because people make markets and they get paid to make the markets. And if they didn't, then there would be no liquidity and nobody could trade. Understand. So they got to make some kind of money. I totally get that that aspect of it, uh, while it gets compressed, is not going to totally disappear it because won't. then nobody would do it. It won't go away. And understand that the bond desk is a profit center for the brokerage firms. And so there will be a spread between the bid price where you want to sell it and the ask price. Okay. And then there is the broker markup, which is what is added to the purchase price or the markdown when you go to sell it. So this is the thing that pops into my brain for the average investor is that this is another reason to just own a bond mutual fund or ETF because while you pay an expense ratio uh, each year in a bond mutual fund or ETF, you can find some very, very low cost ones like in the realm of a few basis points and, and up. Yeah, we depending know, on the we know some that, are, that have expense ratios in the single digits. Right. That's what these kind of costs in addition to the management that you're getting and the diversification of owning thousands of bonds as opposed to one single one go to cover. Uh, whereas, you know, until now, uh, you may not even know all of the costs associated with trading uh, an individual bond. So for most people, I think they want to go the route of owning the diversified bond fund as opposed to individual bonds just because of the costs involved. Right. And you have to be a pretty big investor just to even think about owning individual bonds and being diversified. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not going to be able to put together a portfolio of diversified bond exposure with, yeah. you know, the, the an average amount of money. It's just not happening. It's very hard to do. So something else that we saw in the, um, in the news today, California is set to require, uh, by 2020, the, in new home constructions, they're going to require solar panels. Wow. Required. It's going to add almost $10,000 to the cost of an average home. The average home in California, $541,000. So, and tough to project, I mean, but is there is there a cost savings over time? Is it like the upfront, you know, layout to save money over time? Well, can't we I think we've been told through advertising that we can sell our solar energy that we've stored up, right? Right. I I have no idea, so I would be just making stuff up if I could tell you about cost benefits of of solar. I think probably what people dislike more is being told what they have to do with their personal property. Right. And I am not totally against like regulations and rules. I'm not like a complete free marketer, but I I do kind of have a problem with a state telling people what what type of power they can run into their house or can't. Well, a free market example, if we were to bring this down to grassroots level, uh, after school, I would go uh, around the corner to the playground with uh, Barry Bocklet and his brother and my brother, and we would just play baseball 
all afternoon. No one used the field. No one used the backstop. It was ours. We played it and we played until we were tired or it was time for dinner. Free market. And we made up the rules as we went along. Government getting involved, Little League. There was a rule for everything. And that was, I mean, I was a little league coach. I was little league president. And then I got on the district commission and we sat through meetings and all they wanted to do was come up with new legislation, new rules. So I think this whole idea of requiring new construction homes to have solar paneling, what? I'm building my own home. I think a requirement is probably too strong, but I would be okay with a subsidy to encourage it. Give us a tax credit. Right. Give us something. I'm fine with that level of government involvement, but I think that uh, telling people that they have to do something is is probably crossing the line. Yeah. Uh, So we we saw another one in the Wall Street Journal that was about uh, elder financial fraud. Um, Okay. It's it's sad stuff. I hate hearing about it. It's sad in the sense that we have to talk about this. It's sad... What we hear and we see and and hear, we live through some of these horror stories here at the office where people come in and they tell us these things that have happened to them or to members of their family. And it's it it, it paints investment advisors, stockbrokers, people in our industry in a bad light. But it's also uh, difficult to see that we we still aren't doing a good job of this. Uh, there was a story uh, in the Wall Street Journal, elder financial fraud is worse than we thought. And then they talked about here some ideas of what they can do about it. They uh, they talk about a survey that they did where they asked respondents several questions about whether they had been victimized by financial fraud. Have you been victimized? Everybody, everybody wants to be. I'm a victim. Know. We're all victims. So this is the part that really started, you know, making my hair stand up. They said, uh, they want to know if you've been victimized by financial fraud within the last five years. And by victimized, they meant by, did you invest money after a meeting that offered a free meal, like one of these free chicken dinner seminars? Did you invest after receiving a cold call from area code 212 or 213 or 214? Uh, or Did you invest in penny stocks or an investment that guaranteed daily returns of more than 10%, like, I don't know, marijuana stocks, Bitcoin, things like that? Of all of the respondents, they said only 3% had invested after being given a free meal. That is a lie. (laughs) That is a lie because those people will continue to get mail from that broker or advisor until they die. You know, and then they'll they'll come in. Very few receive uh, acted after getting a phone call, things like that. But they said that about eight percent of the over fifty group admitted that they had fallen prey to at least one of these activities over the last five years. But the thing that really uh, kind of leads into another discussion is, and we just did a video about this as well, is that. Half of all adults in their 80s today either have dementia or some form of impairment. And it's it's something that we went through with a client that we've had that I've been working with for over 20 years. And you start to see the decline in their cognitive skills. And then we found out that he was getting royally scammed out of a lot of money. It's a tough thing as the advisor to see this happening to clients you've been working with for a long time. I also think that the different circumstances that they outlined in a survey of sorts. So we see people get sold crummy investments through those methods all the time. 
like like people go to chicken dinner seminars and buy annuities when they're 40 like that's yeah. that's fine like it doesn't only happen to seniors like that's right are we worried about them too we we probably should be but like again i mean what are we doing about it like how much do we want to regulate this are people going to feel like their liberties are being infringed upon if we tell them they can't buy variable annuities after eating a chicken chicken dinner I mean, it's probably not in their best interest, but if somebody is like dead set on doing it, I can try to talk them out of it, right. tell them why it's a bad idea. But ultimately, if they want to do it, it's if, their own money. If they want to do it, they're going to um, do it. So, yeah. I yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tricky situation where it would mean, what, more regulation on here seniors? We, I mean, that's a group we're, that we're, is we're, even tougher to sell on more regulation than anybody else. We're back to Little League. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how many rules do we have to have? Right. You know, it just, it's, it's, it's a shame because it ultimately boils down to people in our industry doing the right thing or not. Right. Uh, but that's our belief system. Like we, we believe in one version of the right thing and other people believe in theirs. Some people think that chicken dinner variable annuity sales are like doing a favor for people because that's what they sell and they believe that stuff. I, right. You know, I don't know. I, and then I, I can tell them that they're wrong, but yeah. they don't believe me. It's tough to get somebody to believe something when they're incentivized to do it. Right. I'm paraphrasing that quote that gets thrown around all the time, but yeah. they're being paid to do these things. So they're going to keep doing them. Yeah. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Uh, so an another one from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, about pension funds. So pension funds still making promises they probably can't keep. Uh, and this centered around uh, return expectations for a lot of pension funds. Um, Understand that if a pension fund is aiming to return 8% and they come up, you know, when the dust settles and they've only earned 4.5%, someone's got to make up that shortfall because now they don't have enough money to pay out each month to Mr. and Mrs. Retiree. Right, and this this is a problem that we see, not uh, just in pensions, but but individuals do this too, and like people building a financial plan, like you need to have some kind of return uh, assumptions. So uh, again, like a forecast about the future that you have to make, just make a realistic one, because you know in in your scenario, it's a pension fund, so you know this could affect hundreds and thousands of people's retirements because they're expecting a dollar amount in retirement forever. Uh, from a pension, but even just in a financial plan, like if you have return expectations that are too high and they don't happen, then like what what does that mean for that person? That yeah. means that they're out of money. Right. That's you cannot have that. Right. So our belief, and I wish that pensions would take the same approach. I think a lot of people agree, is that they should project for lower than average returns and be pleasantly surprised with the surplus they have when things work out better. Right. Not the opposite. Yeah. So this is pension plans expecting uh, median annual returns uh, of seven and a quarter percent over the next decade. That's completely, in my opinion, that is completely too high. I mean, just looking from a standpoint of where we are in market cycle and valuations, I mean, I haven't seen many people project stocks, U.S. stocks over the next decade for much more than five or six percent, I think is like the highest that I've seen from rational thinkers who I respect. 
and bonds are basically you know based off of the starting yield so what like two and a half percent on right. the aggregate bond index right now so yeah. if you're getting six percent from stocks let's say on the high end two and a half percent from bonds and then, then a, where is this extra performance yeah, coming from? You have a 60-40 portfolio. I mean, right. even that's aggressive for a pension fund. Right. You're talking about bonds. <laughs> you're talking about four percent. Yeah. No, but but this is why a lot of pension funds, I think, have gotten into trouble doing crazy things like private equity and uh, these. More now they're like, buying. Now they're buying commodities. Yeah, these more like esoteric asset classes like like lumber and stuff. Uh, it's like yeah, maybe Swenson over at Yale has done well with that, but the. The average, like the median pension fund, is probably losing their shirt trying to be David Swenson when they would be fine in index portfolios with and just lowering their return assumptions. But that that's such a tough thing to ask a panel of investment experts to do because it's basically saying you don't need to pay us as much as you do. Right. Now we're starting to see these pension plans get into private equity deals. I mean, Uber. Perfect example. Yeah, some of, some of them work out great, and some of them don't. A lot of them don't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know, what do you do when when some of these deals wind up a big zero? They're trying. Well, what they're trying to do now is they see these return assumptions that they need to hit, and they're trying to hit home run balls. Yeah. And we discourage again to relate this back to individuals. It's not apples to apples, but it's close. Uh, this is like you know the person who is coming short in terms of uh, putting together a retirement income projection and wants to take more risk in, in stocks uh, to try to fix it rather than trying to work longer or save more money. It's like, you know, we, we know what can actually fix the problem, but it's the difficult ones. Everyone wants to do the easy one. It's like, oh, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll just make more money. Oh, great. We'll just go out to the money tree and pick it right off of there. Like, it's not going to happen. We had a conversation today about a client who will remain nameless, who uh, actually this person's not even a client who uh, we have um, talked to them about being conservative, being conservative, being conservative. And this person emailed us with a list of ETFs. Literally just like a list of last year's top performing ETFs. Nothing about them, just the symbols. And we knew the symbols because we've seen them. And some of them we've owned. But it, it just struck me as when that person left our office a while back, I thought he understood that, you know, we think you ought to be really conservative. You're at the age where you shouldn't be taking a whole lot of risk. And everything that he gave us was high-flying, 100% risk-oriented. Well, it's easy easy to do looking out the rearview mirror and seeing a year like 2017 where you literally could have owned almost anything and made money. Yeah. Uh, so let's just go back cherry pick the most risky stuff that did great last year and forget that risk exists right um fire up the, <laughs> the flux capacitor at work again yeah bring us back rear view capital yeah i have uh something else that's uh, been kind of bugging me for the last couple of weeks tiger is back on the on the golf tour and he's playing really well he hasn't won anything yet but uh, it seems like he gets to the fourth tee and he's popping ibuprofen you know, like Advil or Motrin or something like that. And he's popping it consistently through his round. And his doctor told him, take the ibuprofen. It's going to help you. By comparison, Freddie Couples, remember him? Sure. Freddie Couples basically lived on ibuprofen same way. And uh, he gave it up. And so he hasn't done as well. There was a 
story about this in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, one of the medical professionals that they quoted said, uh, you really shouldn't be taking this kind of stuff. Like I, ibuprofen isn't really, if you take it a, a lot, you can uh, open yourself up to kidney damage and a lot of other problems with, with internal organs. But this doctor said, uh, you have to learn to respect the pain because it's telling you to stop. And he said the benefits from ibuprofen can be, now this is, we're going to get in trouble for saying this, but the benefits of ibuprofen can be, you can get the same kind of benefits from eating a banana. That's, that's interesting. I, I more like the message, though, of, of what he's saying. Like, if you're feeling this this pain over and over, uh, it's your body telling you to stop. You shouldn't be doing this. Uh, I, I kind of, just to equate everything back to investments, like I always do, like if you are, if you have a portfolio and the market is pulling back, you know, it's it's regular routine, 5 10% drop, and you literally cannot stand it, like you're freaking out. What, that's your portfolio telling you that you are taking too much risk, Yeah, that you can't handle it. And regardless you, of what you feel when the market is going up, uh, I think that that is sending you a message that you have too much going on in your portfolio for what you can handle. If you're, if you're watching every tick of the stock market with your heart racing because it's like, uh, you know, a high stakes game for you. Um, I, I think you need to chill out and a good way to maybe do that is to just have a little bit less going on in your portfolio. Out of curiosity, what's on your summer reading list? Uh, right now I'm reading Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. It's a, uh, wait a minute. He writes about baseball. Does he? Yeah. Oh. Is this the same guy? It may or may not be. I'm not sure. Did you write Casey, for the Wall Street Casey Journal? Casey said the same thing for me uh, to me earlier today, and I was clueless. Okay. Uh, I had seen a bunch of people reading this. Uh, it's kind of, I guess Jared Diamond had influenced uh, the author of Sapiens, whose name okay. I'm drawing a blank on. But anyway, kind of similar books in the sense that it's just like human evolutionary history. So okay. pretty interesting. Um I've got a couple more teed up after that, but that, that's what I'm in now, and that's that's a pretty big one, so I'm kind of working my way through that. Good. So I'm going to be uh, finishing up the Ed Lattimore book. Nice. Good good Twitter follow if, right. uh, if, if you're on there. Uh, not caring what other people think is a superpower. It is. It's an excellent book. Uh, so I'm about halfway through that. I recently finished the Jocko book. Nice. Yeah. Another good uh, Twitter follow and uh, fellow podcaster, if uh, you're listening to other podcasts. Jocko podcast is uh, very good. Yeah, well worth your time. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, just landed on my desk is the Annie Duke uh, book, Thinking in Bets. Nice. I think so. I'm going to have to borrow that one from you uh, after you are done with it. I've yeah. heard very good things about that. Yeah. Well, that wraps up episode 212 in New York City. Uh, again, our next episode, 213, will be from Los Angeles, and then Dallas, 214, and Philly, 215. Thanks for listening to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. See you next time.